let's do it. So, the whole dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus and John's reflections on that dialogue, they're over. They've come to a conclusion. And now what we can, we, we can understand now that, that there's three really major things that we can get out of the last couple of weeks. First of all, the first thing that we can get is Jesus expects from us a radical rebirth of our soul. It's not just enough to go out and, and, and do stuff out there. It's, it's about this radical rebirth of, of being born again in the inside, in the, in, in the internal, in the inter, internal. That's the word I was looking for. And so he requires this of us to see the kingdom of God. The second thing we can kind of gather from this that that God loves the world. But his love costs him something. In fact, his love will cost him the earthly life of his son, Jesus. And it's a love that frees, and it's a love that redeems, and it's a love that brings joy, and a love that brings purpose. We also know that for those who believe, for those who believe, we will have eternal life. But on the flip side of that, for those who choose not to believe, they stand condemned. And it's not God that does the condemning. It's the choice that's been made not to believe. And so we can kind of gather these things out of it. Now, now what's going to happen is the text is going to bring us back to John the Baptist. And John is going to give witness to Jesus. All of these things that Jesus has gone through in these few chapters, John still remains passionate. John still remains a witness to who Jesus is. And so that's the text that we're going to get into today. Now, I'm going to be straight up with you here. Um, I am going to pick on the church a little bit this morning. Okay? I'm going to be honest. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to kind of rub against the church. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. (laughs) I love the church. I would not be a pastor if I did not love church. My last job as a pastor in, in my last church, um, for the last two years there, it was, it was really difficult and really painful. And I came to the end of that, and I remember waking up that Monday morning of my last day, and I said, I'm done. Uh, I'm just, I'm done. I, I'm not going to do this. It's just not worth it. Um, what it, what it, it's just, I'm done. And I spoke to some people, and they encouraged me to go on. And I was like, I'm done. But there was something inside of me. There was a spark that wouldn't let go. I held on to a hope of what I believed God's church could be. And and it was like like God for a while let me check out, but I knew that I could not walk away from it. I love church. I know that sounds weird. I love this church. Weirder. I love the people in this church. Where it is. <laughs> but, but that's my heart. <laughs> Thanks, man. But, but, but that's my heart. And so I'm going to rub against the church a little bit. Because church, capital C, church universal, I'll be straight up, sometimes frustrates me to death. And I'm not doing this just to be confrontational. I want to make sure that we always know the direction that we want to travel in, that we're going to travel in. This is, this is my heart for this church in this direction. This is where I believe God has called me to lead a church, going, forgetting about the dumb things, 
which I would consider dumb things, and focusing on what God has called us to. So this morning, we're going to pick on church. And, and I will guarantee for most of you who've been kicking around for a while, it, it's going to be nothing new. This is, this is going to be a review. So let's go to John chapter 3, verse 22. And we will begin there. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at this other place where there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put into prison. So, so this is, this is Jesus is the whole Nicodemus thing is over. Um, Jesus takes the boys and he heads out into the wilderness and they're going to spend some time together. This idea that he spent some time with them. Um, it's really kind of vague, but it really has a meaning that it's just a very casual. They're almost, they're, they're just, they're just headed out to see what happens. And so they're going to spend time together. They're going to, they're going to eat together. They're going to, to um, just live together. They're going to just be around each other. They're going to do ministry together and, and they're going to get to know Jesus. Jesus is going to get to know them. They're going to spend time and, and it will deepen the relationship as time spent with each other often does deepen relationships or ruins them. But this is Jesus. So it can only be that, that they're deepening the relationship. And it also says that, that they are going to do ministry together. They are baptizing. Now, it depends if you want to think that chapter 4 is a whole new idea, whether Jesus or not is baptizing. It really doesn't matter. The disciples, Jesus, they are baptizing. Now, I don't believe that it's um, the baptism that we think that, that we're used to. I, I think it's, it still has to do with John and the continuation of the baptism of repentance. Now, remember, Jesus and, and, and a lot of his disciples that are following at this point were John's in John's circle. And so it would it would be um, not a far stretch to say that they are continuing to baptize people for repentance, that people would turn, that people would come home, that people would recognize that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. And so Jesus and the boys are doing ministry together. And it also says that John continues to baptize, that people are still coming to John, and John continues to baptize. Now they're just kind of in, in different areas baptizing. All right, let's continue. An argument developed between some, some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now, so John's disciples, they get into an argument. Not John. I don't think John can care about what is going on or or the argument. But John's disciples, they get into an argument with this Jew. We don't know who this Jew is about purification. Now, I don't think this is a big deal because the author doesn't give us any other um, information about what the discussion was about. Maybe it was about the idea that, that whose baptism is doing what it needs to do. Is it John's baptism doing what like it's supposed to do? Or now Jesus, is it his baptism that's doing what it's supposed to do? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Or it could be over um, ceremonial, uh, the, the baptism itself. Jews like to wash, not because they like to be clean, but because they had to be ceremonially clean before God. And they could never get there, so they would continue to wash and wash and wash. And John is baptizing once and for all for the repentance to, to t- return. 
And so for a Jew to do it once, that would be just like, no, man, you got to keep doing it. You just can't get there one time. And so maybe that's what the discussion was. Maybe that was the argument. We don't know. But what we do know is that it quickly turns to a very interesting question that his disciples ask John. Listen to this. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Turn the page. So, it turns very quickly from an argument to, okay, what, wait, what, what, what's going on here? Now, the term, this idea that they say, that guy that was with you, that man that was with you, I don't think his disciples understand who Jesus is. I think his disciples understand that John has given witness to this guy. I think they understand that he's kind of talked him up a lot and gave him a really big recommendation. I mean, John says some really amazing things about Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's a pretty big recommendation. I never got that one. Anybody here got that? I mean, this is, this is pretty big. And so his disciples maybe think that he's getting a little bit too much of the credit here. I mean, that guy over there that was with you, and we can tell by, by as a casual reading of this, it, it seems like that maybe Jesus just popped in and left, but actually it has, has a, an inference of that he spent some time with John, that Jesus actually spent time with John, doing ministry with John and his disciples, and then Jesus broke away. He took some of the peeps with him, and he went into the Judean countryside to start baptizing himself. And I love this line. <laughs> his, his disciples say to him, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. This sounds like my son, okay? We, we eat chicken in our house because we're not vegetarians. And um, as you could tell, um, and, and, and so, but we'll have chicken maybe once a week, maybe twice a week. But if, you, if we say we're cooking chicken on the grill, my son is like, Chicken again? We have chicken every night of the week. I hate chicken. We're like, no, buddy, we don't have chicken every night of the week. We have it once a night. No, we have it every night of the week, and I hate chicken. And then we get into the all, well, we should be thankful that we have food. Look what God has given us. He doesn't care. It's chicken every night of the week. He doesn't want it. This is almost like what these disciples are doing. Look, everybody's going to him. Everybody, he's over there. He's baptizing, and everybody's going to him. When in reality, the text will tell us that people are continually coming to John. See, his disciples have become aggravated that, that Jesus, his ministry, is growing. And wait a minute. Wait, this is our ministry. We baptized him. And now he's off over there doing his own thing. And people are starting to go to him. And like everybody is going to him. What's he doing different? He must be teaching something wrong. I mean, why would they leave us and go to him? He must be teaching lies and deceit. See, for John's disciples, it's become us versus them. And unfortunately, they're rubbing against the Son of God, so they're going to lose, but, but it becomes us versus them. And what's even more scary about this story is that church... Religion has had that same attitude 
for thousands and thousands of years. Us versus them. Uh, Bruxy Cavey uh, writes this book called The End of Religion. And in it, he says that Christians have a very interesting pattern throughout the centuries. And through this pattern, we continue to have the same exact results. That we as Christians, we love to debate. And then we like, then, then, then we divide. And then we fight. And we debate. And we divide. And we fight. And it's this pattern over and over and over that we have gone through. I mean, come on. We love to debate theology as, as Christians. Are you post-trib? Are you pre-trib? Are you a post-millennialist? Are you a pre-millennialist? Are you a millennialist? That, I know. <laughs> what? I had to look it up too. Don't worry. It's, it, it has to do with the thousand years in Revelations. Do you believe that Jesus is going to come back at the beginning of that thousand years after, after Satan's locked up in the prison? Or do you believe Jesus actually comes back at the end of that thousand years? Or, if you're an amillennialist, do you believe that the thousand years is just really symbolic and we really don't know what's going to happen? Here's the official stance of this church. Me. I'm a pan-millennialist. I'm serious. I believe it will all pan out in the end when Jesus comes back. <laughs> and we don't have to worry about it. All right? When I was... When, when I was, um, it, it, I remember it was an Easter Sunday and uh, this, this young, young guy, is a college student, he come up to me after the service and he said, Dennis, you know, I'm taking this class and, um, and, and, and I don't, I don't even think I'm, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. Oh no, I'm right. Good. And, and, and um, I don't, um, I, just, I just can't take this class. It's, it was an earth science class or something and they were talking that, that the earth is just this old earth, millions and millions of years old. And he said, Dennis, I've always been brought up that, that the earth is only a few thousand years old. You know, you got like creation, you know, the seven day thing and then you got a few thousand years to Jesus then you got a few more thousand years and he goes, and then, then they were talking about the, 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 the seven days that can't be taken literal in Genesis that it could, that word for day could mean something else and it could have been that, that God created over a really, really long period of time and, and he goes, I just, I can't sit there and listen to all this stuff. He goes, I want to know what the official stance of the church is. And, and, I, and I guess being the pastor, he wanted to know what my stance was. And, and the scholar that I am, I looked at him straight in the eyes. I said, well, what's Jesus doing in your life today? And he was like, no, 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 no. See, see, you know, young earth, old earth, seven days, epics. What's, what's the official stance of the church? And I said, well, pick one. It doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, does it matter if it's a literal seven days? Or does it matter that, 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 that it could have been God created over a long period of time? I said, what's, what's Jesus doing in your life today, man? That's, see, that's what really matters. I gave him my big bang theory. God spoke, bang, it happens. But other than that, I, I don't care. And, and no, it's not that I don't care. I mean, these things, these things are important. I understand it, and they make for really good discussion. But what's Jesus doing in your life today? Isn't that the question? And do you realize that these types of questions have divided churches throughout the centuries? That over and over and over again, we debate, we can't agree, and we divide. And in that division, we end up fighting. What's Jesus doing in your life today, I think, is a much more profound 
important question. And so, in the context of this debate, divide, and argue, we got the, the Catholics, and they don't like the Orthodox, and the Protestants, they don't like the Catholics, and nobody likes the Anabaptists because they're just really weird. Do you realize that in our world today, there are over 3,000 denominations? 3,000 denominations because we love to debate. And we allow those debates to divide us. And in that division, we argue. It's almost like, like, like as a church, we, we get this truth. And, and, and the truth is, seems to be revealed to us in, in a very certain way. And so we, so we understand that truth. And then, and then we almost become prideful and arrogant and become dispensers of that truth. Because it's, it's our truth. It's not your truth yet, unless you believe the truth that I believe. And so you have to believe this way. John's disciples, they, they knew the truth. Well, they knew that it was time to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they felt that they were, they were the ones to dispense that truth. And how dare the Son of God go off and baptize? Because in their pride and arrogance, it was their way or it was no way. And how dare Jesus start his own dispensary of truth? How dare people start going to him and listening to his teaching? He must be teaching something wrong. And it continues to this very day. Churches, denominations have debated, and argued, and divided. But we all say that we follow Christ. And then we have these big things that we can't agree on and it trickles its way down into the everyday stuff. King James only. No hymns, choruses, no choruses, hymns. Jeans and flops so you get kicked out over, over stupid things. Alcohol is a sin. No rated R movies. Secular music, mm-mm-mm. Like, like, like music could be secular or Christian. And we argue over these things, and we call sin what is not sin in other people's lives, and we boil down our faith into a bunch of systems that should be followed. And within those systems, if you don't follow our system, then you are wrong, and you are in sin. Listen, I've always said this, and I will say this to the day we die. We, Oasis, are not the way. We are a way. We are not the way. And I know, I know it's, hard, um, it's hard not to, um, to, to, to look at other people and say, well, why don't you try it this way? It's like we're like a bunch of sinners or something. But, but here's the thing. All churches are filled with a thousand heresies. This church practices heresy, I'll guarantee it. Not on purpose. Because what are the odds that any church has it 100% together? What are the odds that any one church knows exactly what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live this thing out? We try our best. But then we rail against each other because they're not following the way that we do it. How can they have a difference of opinion? 
There was um, Rob Dennis a while, a few years back. He, um, he was putting on this big Christian show, bringing in bands and stuff. And he was just, it was when we were real pastors, youth pastors. And um, we, um, he was calling other youth pastors to try to get them on board this whole thing. And he called one church to talk to the youth pastor. And um, he couldn't talk to the youth pastor until he cleared it with the senior pastor. And so he, got, he dug a little deeper and he found out that there were two churches that were kind of neighbors and the one church was there for a while, but then the other church started and they got a hold of the first church's directory, started making some phone calls to say, hey, you want to come over to our church? It's going to be bigger, better, and brighter. And so there was this tension between churches and this first church now just put a big old lockdown. You cannot talk to anybody. This is the church of God, man. This is like Jesus followers who were neighbors who were upset with each other, and wouldn't talk to each other. This is what it has come down to sometimes. There was a, a young guy that was um, praying with us um, as, as we were kind of praying through what this was all going to look like last year, and he was really torn because I've known him for a, really, uh, for a lot, a lot of years. And um, he, he came to the meetings, and he was praying. He was just like, but, but, he, but he started going to this other church, and, and I know the church that he's going to. I know the pastor. It's a great, great church. But he was torn. He didn't know what to do. He's like, you know, I don't know if I should be here. I don't know if I should go there. I just, I just don't know what to do with this. And I'm like, listen, it's not a popularity contest. What is God doing in your life? Where is God calling you? If he's calling you over there, go. Because I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to argue with God. This isn't us versus them. If God is calling to you, calling you to, uh, you to that place, then you have to go there. And so I kicked him out, and he went. <laughs> no, <laughs> I haven't talked to him since. Uh, no, I'm on the king. And, and it's, but, but there's this feeling of, of, this is our church, and you're my people. God forbid you visit another church. Listen, man, you want to visit another church? As long as you come back. Go ahead. <laughs> It's not us versus them. And we cannot be us versus them. Let me show you why. John 17. We'll start reading in verse 20. These are the words of Jesus because they're written in red. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Do you realize that this prayer by, is by Jesus, the Son of God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through him, all things were made for us men and for our salvation. He came from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, was buried. Jesus prayed this prayer 2,000 years ago, and it has yet to be answered by God. We are not one. Sometimes I wonder, I got into a, a conversation last week with a guy here, Tim. He said, well, is God so powerful that he can build a, make a rock big enough so he can't move? I was like, yeah. He goes, what do you base it on? I was like, arrogant? I don't know. I, I just, I'm throwing it out there. But I wonder if this is the only prayer that God can't answer because it has to do with his people. 
recognizing that it's okay to be different, but yet we're still one. And when that happens, maybe then the prayer will be answered. Maybe we're the ones that have to answer that prayer. And so I want to add this caveat. If you've been praying for something for a long time, when you get to the 2,000-year mark, let me know. Go, John, chapter 3 again. To this, John replied, I love this, a person can receive only what is given from heaven. John's response is just like, whap, immediate, quick. He says, listen, we have exactly what God has given us. Jesus, that guy over there, has exactly what God has given him. No more and no less. And in the context of church, we have exactly what God has given us. All of our successes aren't our successes. All of our high, all of the great things that we have done, aren't we doing them? God has given us those things. Everything that we have, we have been given by God. And see, so for us, we need to be diligent in what God has called us to. Because God has called and God will give. And I, and, and I, think, I think this takes place on two really um, interesting levels. I think first it's, it's on a personal level that we have to be diligent in the things that God has called us to. And I know, I know we don't like the word obedient, but we have to be obedient to the things that God has called us to. And in those things, you might experience like success and things are going well and everything is running really smooth. And in and, and the world's eyes, man, you're on top of it. Look at that ministry. That ministry is thriving because you are being obedient to the things that God has called you to. Or maybe, or maybe, maybe you've been obedient and man, it seems like you are just scratching for every inch. Maybe you're being obedient and what the world sees is you are just failing left and right. There is no failure if you're obedient to what God has called you to. Look at John the Baptist. God called him to be the guy who goes out in front of Jesus. He has this great ministry. And then his church starts to get smaller. Wait, wait, what? He's being obedient to what God has called him to. And then he gets thrown in jail. And towards the end, there's this little thing that had to do with his head getting cut off. He was obedient to what God had called him to, and in the world's eyes, it looks like a failure. But there is no failure in our obedience to God. We only have what God has given us. And so for us as a church, we need to be diligent in the things that God has called us to. And I believe God has called us to love the world and serve the world and to serve people and to make disciples, to turn people on to Jesus. This is our calling. And whether we do it at the Grange for our entire life or we build the Oasis Crystal Cathedral. All right, we're never going to build a Crystal Cathedral I'm a marble granite type guy, so we're going, we're going large. <laughs> or if we do that, it's because God has given it to us. Any success that we have, any 
any great things that we think that we're doing are from God, and he gets the glory and not us. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him. And it's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John says, listen, guys, I'm not the Messiah. I am not Jesus. He knows who he is. He knows who he is in the context of what God has called him to and who Jesus is. He's been given a job to do. He's been sent out in front of Jesus to prepare the way for him. And now, church, we have been sent after Jesus. And we, too, have a job to do. We have a purpose in all of this. And, 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 and here's, here, here's the danger, and here's what I've seen. This has been my experience, that, that we go out to make disciples, but the danger is we begin to make disciples of church and not disciples of Jesus. We like to make oasians, and, and we measure people's spiritual walk by our standard. Because if we measure them by Jesus' standard, we'd all be in trouble. So our standard, you don't, you don't look like us. You don't, you don't you know, sing the right songs. You don't read your Bible. You, you don't read your... And, and we, we expect people to look like us. We make disciples of ourselves instead of making disciples of Christ. And I know it's difficult to do, not to do that. We are who we are because of the way that we believe and how we engage that belief. We are who we are because of what we believe, the way we believe it, and how we engage that belief. And it's very difficult not to, not to look at someone as we're discipling them, as we're bringing them along and say, no, you, you should look like, it should look like this. Here's, um, here's what I believe. No person and no church ever follows, just follows what the Bible says. No one, I just, I just live my life by what the Bible says. No, you don't. You live your life by how you interpret what the Bible says. Every church lives its church life how they interpret what the Bible says. And so there are certain things that, that we're not going to budge on. If you go to our website in the, in the who we are and it's what we believe, we got 10 things, man, 10 mountains that we are willing to die on. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Spirit? Our need for atonement, our, our sinful nature, that Jesus is coming back at the end. These are things that are non-negotiable for us. But many other things of our Christian faith are open to interpretation. And so we live our life by how we interpret what the Bible says and not just by what the Bible says. Let me give you an example. Here, here's, here's where it gets a little funky, a little dangerous. Uh, we'll use alcohol as an example because that's a very hot topic in many churches. Some churches will say that it is a sin. It is wrong to consume any alcoholic beverage. That if you drink anything alcoholic, you are in sin. 
And they take that idea and they begin to project it onto other people. That other people who drink, have a drink, have a glass of wine, have a cold beer, whatever it is, they are now sinning. And this becomes a debatable topic. And within that debatable topic, it begins to divide people. And they begin to fight over it. And it becomes something that pulls people apart instead of joining them together. Let me tell you what the Bible says about alcohol. Drunkenness. Do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness leads to debauchery. Okay? This is about being controlled in the abuse of alcohol. Yeah, that's wrong. That is sin. But I would say that the abuse of anything is wrong. Whether it's alcohol, food, golf, the casino. I I mean, I love the casino. I mean, I don't like making the donation when I go, but I mean, it's really, really cool. But if I'm there and all of my money flies out and I can't pay the bills and my kids don't have... You know what? That's, that's, that's sinful. If I'm out playing 18 holes every other day and I got no money for my house, guess what? Sinful. If I'm out getting drunk every night of the week, it's the same thing. And the danger happens when we project these things onto other people where the scriptures are open to interpretation on them. It's okay that we're different. But our difference shouldn't separate Our differences should bring us together that we could still be one. It's like some churches, in my experience, have they travel miles and miles to win one convert. And when they find that person, they make him or her twice the son or daughter of hell that they are. It's in the Bible. Look it up. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. The bridegroom, or the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is, that joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. This whole idea of the bride, the church, and Jesus, the bridegroom, is, is throughout the scriptures. And, and, and we are, the church is the bride of Christ. And John is saying that, that, that I'm, the, I'm the friend. And the friend of the bridegroom had he, had, he took care of a lot of stuff, man. It wasn't just like the best man. I mean, he, he laid it all down. And one of his things that he had to do, the friend of the bridegroom, was he would bring the bride to the bridegroom. And he would bring them together. And so it's our place and our job to bring the church to Jesus. To bring people to Jesus. It's our job to create disciples of Christ. And within that, let the Spirit move in them that that it's important for them to be involved in a community of faith. And within that community of faith, that we we don't weigh them down with junk. We say, listen, there is freedom in Christ. Here are the things that are most important but there is freedom. And, let, and let, let the Spirit convict instead of us trying to convict. I love church. I believe people need to be in church. 
for the good of their spiritual walk, for their spiritual journey. We cannot do this alone. We need each other. But listen, if you've introduced somebody to Jesus and they're on this this amazing faith journey and they decide to go to a different church, as John was, so should you be filled with joy that they have now come to know who Christ is. Because it's not about putting people into our church. It's about introducing people to Christ and having their entire life changed. This life and the life for eternity. This is what we've been called to do. And the goal of discipleship will always be for us. That we become less and Jesus always becomes more. And so... What would it look like for churches to understand that in some things we're going to be different? And it's okay. It's neither right nor wrong. It just, it's, it's different. What, what would it look like if we just held on to those, to those fundamental truths of who God is, what the Bible is, who Jesus is, who's the Spirit? And we let all that other stuff just, just fall aside. What if we didn't let millennialism divide us anymore? What would, what would the world look like if churches stopped projecting their interpretation of the Bible onto other people and just lived the life that Christ called them to and allowed the Spirit to convict and talked in love and came alongside people there's a story of a guy, um, Rob Morris of Love 146. He says that, that his experience was um, a, a, a woman was taking his daughter to, um, to have an abortion. She, she, she was a young woman. And um, there was a lot of, of people out in front and they were picketing. And this woman had to take refuge in an abortion clinic for fear of her daughter being taunted. What's the world coming to that people, and these were Christians, what's the world coming to where, where people take refuge? in an abortion clinic. Now listen, I'm, I'm not an advocate for it. But what if we came alongside those young women and loved on them and we didn't play Jesus and try to condemn? Here's what it would look like. John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for all, all, pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know the best way that we could win people to know Jesus if the church came together and stopped debating, dividing, and fighting. That if when the church becomes one, when this prayer is finally answered, the world will know who has sent Jesus. You can hand out all the little tracts. You can stand on the street corners and yell. You can, you can do all of those things. But when churches come together and understand 
that, that we are one and that we're not the same and we get to carry each other, the world will know who sent Jesus. We're going to end with a song, and we've already sung it, and I think now, I hope now, the song will make more sense to you why we played it this morning. So I'm going to ask the worship team, the girls, to come back up.